Hey there, you're listening to Hunchback Talks. In this special episode, you will tune into a live recorded podcast, which took place at the Amsterdam Dance Event. In this episode, Paul Dietman sits down with Mason and talks about his journey as a DJ and producer, the reality behind building a career, scoring a major hit, performing on the biggest stages while traveling the world, how to diversify your opportunities, and the usage of music in big campaigns. Listen to discover his secret and how you can succeed as an artist. We hope you enjoy the episode. Hey guys, welcome to a special Hunchback versus MSM Dance Event version podcast. Uh, I'm here with Mason, a, a friend, a, a DJ, producer, a, a musician, uh, a lot of things. Uh, we had a little bit of a history together and I thought it would be the perfect time to talk a little bit about your career. More than 25 years of being an electronic producer, composer. Uh, thanks for joining us. Well, good to be here. What I wanted to do, because we called this uh, this segment, because we are here in Amsterdam and there's all these talks going on, we call it succeeding in the music industry for more than two decades. I thought that is pretty intense. That's a <laughs> long period of time, and especially how tough it is to keep your heart, head above the water. Yeah, maybe maybe the word su- succeeding, maybe just changed into surviving. Surviving. Yeah, surviving for 20-something years, yeah. So maybe um, take me back a little bit to the beginning. Like, where did this all start? Was this something... You already felt as a child uh, a pull into the music industry. Was there already something in the family going on where you're saying, logically, I made those steps in this industry? Yeah, well, I, I come from a kind of a artistic family. Uh, so my father's a, a sculptor and painter and my mother and both sisters uh, actresses. So there was kind of a bit of a vibe, okay, you know, do what you want to do as long as you really go for it and really spend, you know, uh, don't do it half, let's say. So... When I was young, I was sort of singing on a TV choir thing. Um, it was a thing, but, you know, I was just a little kid from seven-year-old sort of singing in TV shows. And the the thing was, it kind of brought me to recording studios. And in the 80s, because I'm I'm, I'm an old fart, uh, in, in the 80s, it was like these huge SSL desks and, you know, all these old tape reels. And I was really mesmerized by it. Like, And in the breakdowns, everybody went out to play football. And I, I just wanted to sort of stay near those mixers and see all these guys with ponytails and smoking off cigarettes and I was like I want to be a sound engineer when I grow up and it kind of succeeded I mean I didn't know that making music is even more fun so kind of one thing led to another I played violin back then as well and when I was a teenager I just started to uh, DJ I was really into hip-hop and uh, bought a bunch of records and just one thing led to the other is there also something that you studied that wasn't music related? Was there something that you say, oh, okay, this is a hobby on the sides. I love to be busy with music, but yeah, you're also studying, you're doing some school or... Back then? Yeah. No, not really. I um, I kind of went, I kind of knew I wanted to sort of make music and I was like, as a teenager already, like quite busy with it. Uh, I lived in a little sort of suburban town and I was in the weekends going to Amsterdam to do DJ sets and things where where I kind of technically wasn't allowed in the club uh, because I was still 16 or so. Mm-hmm. and uh, But I could come in if I would DJ. No, so I knew I wanted to study. Um, and I went to the Utrecht School of Arts uh, yeah. in the end of, end of the 90s and went there for a few years for more sort of composition, production type of uh, uh, study. So how did it start? So from this kind of already pool, you were singing in this choir, you were like, oh, yeah, I kind of like this, like... Uh, yeah, a way of being busy with music and sounds. 
where did it really what is kind of the step program like there's a lot of like young producers composers listening and they're like, okay but can we have a more practical sense and like do you call the first bar say hey i can actually mix on vinyl there's not like one sort of route you can take you know and i, I guess also in the 90s it was somewhat different than now because it was not internet related um but I, I kind of, at some points, people around me knew that I was sort of DJing and I maybe played like two crappy records on a school party and stuff like that. And so I, I told it around and um, there was like this really dodgy club in the this village that I lived in. And I think it was really a lot of sort of, sort of drug related and prostitution and all this stuff. It was really kind of quite a sort of, um, yeah. Rock and roll dirty. Yeah, yeah. like a really <laughs> dodgy place. And I, I was allowed to DJ there. So I kind of, Went there and I brought my own turntables. I kind of saved enough money with working in restaurants to get like two techniques. And so I brought my records and, and two techniques and a mixer and stuff every week, which is kind of whatever the equivalent of the weight of two, two <laughs> grown-ups. That's um, insane. Yeah. And it's, so I played there a bunch of times and I need to, I had to weep the floor afterwards. And at some point I, I showed up and they said like, no, fuck off. You it kind of, we, we took, took over the place. We have a new DJ. Wow. So that's my, you know, that's where I started. But I mean, from then I was pretty fanatic with it. So I was in my bedroom mixing mixtapes and all that, sending it around. Uh, How did you send it around? Was it like a CD giving, or tapes? Yeah, it was or... still tapes and I kind of spray painted them and I kind of gave it to people. <laughs> and yeah, you know, and it just, and I started to organize my own little parties and things. So, you know, it all started really small, but I, I went end of the 90s, I went to Amsterdam and then I started to get sort of residencies and it became a bit more serious. And I think from 99, it started to become international also occasionally. Yeah. So I started to travel a little bit. It's it's interesting that you're saying it because I, I hear a lot of young composer producers and they are kind of waiting for that agency or this manager that just picks their career up. They are talented, they can make be beautiful music and therefore... Uh, they don't have to put that initiative up. But what you were saying is like most of all the starts was all your initiative, your own parties, your own way of getting kind of the whole DJ set even to yeah. uh, the venue. <laughs> no, totally. I mean, I think you're right. I think a lot of people are complaining about gigs. They're always like, yeah, I don't have an agent or, you know, that that's the reason. But the reason is like there should be demands because it's... A, and if there's no demands, there's no agents. And, you know, it's not like an agent going to get on board and all of a sudden everybody's going to call the agent for a show. So it's yeah. kind of... You need to create something, and uh, especially nowadays when they're when we cut out the middleman. I mean, in the past you still had record stores and a lot of sort of things in the middle or uh, magazines, even that a lot of people wrote. Right now, it's just yourself and the internet and getting a sort of group of fans and people to support your stuff. So you, it's it's pretty DIY, I would say. It's uh, it's also quite saturated that way because yeah. you had kind of this middleman in between, which kind of sucks because you are probably being screwed over <laughs> yeah but you also had sort of you know the guy behind the counter in the record store that would sort of say hey this is great new stuff you should check mm -hmm. out this artist you know people that gave recommendations that you trusted and you know i'm I, I kind of i'm definitely not the kind of guy like it used to be better because it isn't you know it's it's probably better now but it's uh some stuff changed and it's more diy you need to create mm -hmm. your stuff yourself and then agents and managers and publishers and all these people come around the corner to help you out but it's um, yeah, 
did you did you already start producing them? Because you're saying you're playing, you're moving yeah. to Amsterdam, you're getting some residencies. Yeah. Where you're already producing a lot of tracks. Um, yeah, I got like a sampler, the S700 from Akai. I don't yeah. know how, how geeky we can go here, but it's uh, <laughs> and I had a sequencer and, and the floppy drive from the sampler was sort of uh, broken. So I had to kind of keep leave it on for like a few days <laughs> uh, if I was working on a record. Now, and uh, yeah, I, I think I released my first thing in 2001. I think the le- learning curve was a bit uh, different than now because you didn't have plugins and things like that. Mm-hmm. So it was like, it sounded crap longer. So it's, um, but uh, yeah, some around 2003, four, it started to sound somewhat decent. And then I kind of went pretty fast uh, uh, after that. Mm. And then of course, uh, you got this major hit, Exceder. Uh, I remember I was a young kid watching a, a Sensation uh, White DVD, I guess, or it was a live stream. I don't know what it exactly was. And I heard that track it was Steve Angelo the year before that you actually uh, were on Sensation playing this like damn this is cool this was without uh the vocal yet so it was the, the instrumental version uh, can you tell something because you were already producing music for some time and then you have like that thing happening and i remember you're saying this was a b-side of a an yeah. ep yeah. not really thinking this was something but then it blew up what did this do for you at the time doing some residencies having a hit like that well, it kind of changed everything, uh, flipped everything upside down for me. Um, before I was, I was doing it full time already. So I was kind of full time DJing, producing uh, on a sort of, you know, smaller scale, but then everything just gets sort of blown up and all of a sudden there's a lot of, you know, demands. And if, so I think between t- t- 2006 and 2010, 11, like my life was really for, um, based around touring. So I've been abroad a lot. Um, and sometimes pretty ridiculous schedules and things. So yeah, that was all new. I and mean, I need to get like all of a sudden within a month, a manager. And because I only had a DJ, a booking agent and a publisher, I think. So I need to get a manager and need to get age, different agents in different territories and different working with all these different labels per territory. So all of a sudden the whole game got a bit bigger. And I, you know, it was uh, obviously I screwed up in some of these things and some things I did right and just did my best. I think. I'm super thankful for obviously the record, but also for the fact that I um, had a lot of international touring experience before that. Yeah, because I used to uh, I used to be uh, a Tiesto, so a warm up DJ, for instance, for 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 his world tour for a while. So, and that was all before Exeter. So I had like my experience of, you know, how it is to be abroad a lot. And um, so it wasn't too intimidating right away. Like you yeah, kind of because got I kind of sometimes yeah, you hear people you know who straight away from the bedroom got thrown into the arena at Ultra and all these kind of things. And it's, you know, you, you yeah, it's quite a, can be quite heavy for people mentally or just not being very good at DJing yet or stuff yeah. like that, you know? So I had like my, whatever, 10 years of experience already. So that was kind of very helpful. And I kind of stayed my head cool and did my thing. But I, it also kind of, you know, a lot of people then expected, especially be- when it became a chart hit, that I would only make sort of very chart-focused music, but I'm not really that kind of guy. So mm-hmm. uh, I, I felt like, ah, oh, great, you know, now I have a sort of window of people watching to kind of make on, bring all my other stuff, all my weirder things and stuff like yeah. that. So, so I also, you know, that's just who I am, and uh, so it also means that, like, you know, I, d- I didn't focus on making a sort of super commercial follow-up and follow-up, but I focused on making an album that's more artistically gives a bit of a view of what I uh, what I'm, I'm about so also means it's fine that it's not sort of a private jet lifestyle or anything like that but it's you know it did bring me like uh, a crowd and um, 
and the fact that I'm still, you know, can can live from music. Did you know that it uh, became a TikTok challenge? Have you seen what did, happened did there? It? Yeah, I saw that there's no. like a, a weird pigeon challenge where they're dancing on a cedar. <laughs> I was just checking out. I was like, oh, okay. I see this. It's the pigeon dance uh, on a cedar. I don't know exactly what correlation it has with another. Okay, you have uh, to show me. Yeah. It, it made me laugh. It's like funny. It kind of uh, goes back. And sometimes music that has been released in the past kind of has like a second life. Uh, kind For of sure. Like yeah. And it's, up again. it's kind of, you know, because it was such a. <laughs> For Electro and Electro House, it was such a sort of, I guess, classic in that sense. So, so people who kind of had their first, whatever, uh, uh, you know, they were teenager then, have sort of memories from it and stuff. So it keeps on coming back and getting used for advertising and stuff like that. Yeah. Hey, and then in terms of festivals, I, I remember, um, I believe you even played at the TMF Awards. It's probably with Chesto, with uh, with the violin, uh, but also Sensation, I already uh, said that. And... Uh, Tomorrowlands, like this is, is blowing up still, like it's the, the biggest festival on earth. How is that? Like, how do you prepare for something like that? How how do you re even react on something coming your way when you hear, oh, they want me on the main stage here and there? Is that something that you can keep your cool about or just what you said, you just had the experience? So Yeah, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not a very stressed guy on, in that sense. I, I don't sort of, uh, I don't get that nervous, I suppose. Um, the thing was, like the bigger the stages get, the more you have to prepare for it and can't sort of improvise, I feel. It's maybe kind of not a, usually people don't say it out loud, but I feel like the, the bigger the stage is, the more it's like a, well, I mean, it's not, it's definitely not pre-recorded, but you planned it, let, let's say. So um, while if you're in a dark club, you can just sort of go with the flow and see what happens on the dance floor. But I mean, a thing like Sensation, you have like whatever a few hundred lights on you. So you also don't see the crowd. So you also don't see the crowd reaction, really. I mean, you see maybe the front few, lines but it's too big to kind of get a feeling like, oh this record works oh let's try something else that's that stuff is more for smaller places so so that was more the thing like if it's a big stage is you kind of uh, prepare uh, prepare a little bit more and if you think a little bit more about the business you of course you have these stages you get all like the the, the fees for it but uh it's, it's an up and down thing like uh, at one point you're kind of uh the, the the hottest thing and then the other time like somebody else has taken over how do you kind of keep during all those years to say multiple income streams like if you think about sure you have gigs and you have your music and you have a label like did you deliberately think about this all the time like is this something that you were focusing on yeah i mean it's kind of just sort of it's it's just a journey you know and it takes you wherever it takes you um but yeah, for sure. I mean, at some point, the whole sort of exceder thing died out and that was kind of done. So I need to have, you know, so my career was more about the new stuff. And there were a few years when that was kind of complicated, I suppose. Um, and I think the last sort of seven, eight years, I feel like I kind of found my sort of voice and have a have a, have a sort of a loyal fan base, let's say. And it's not massive and it's not, you know, but it's it's enough that there are people checking out my music that I can live from music that gets streamed and uh, then I have, have shows and things. So, uh, you know, it's also like, what do you want in, in, in life, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, do you want sort of, is it always about growth or is it kind of just about, for me, it's about, I kind of want to just do the things I love, you know, and not think too much like, okay, this is a trendy sound and I need to follow this or uh, this is the thing I need to do. I mean, it's not like a one-time decision, but it's like a thousand times I've been on that crossroad where you kind of, where I'm always that sort of stubborn guy that kind of, does his own thing and i kind of feel like right now it's sort of starting to work in my favor that people think like oh he's that he's that dude on that island doing his own <laughs> thing and 
well, I'm, you know, the people know that I, so now I'm embracing it and doing my projects are sometimes kind of quite out there. And people respect that, I think, just to stay in your lane, not really following the trends all the time, but really creating something unique in that sense. Yeah, but it's also not an easy route. I mean, mm. if you're, let's say, um, a techno producer, then you kind of, it's pretty kind of clear, okay, these are the 10 techno promoters in my country. These are the the labels I need to release on. These are the artists I need to associate myself with or remix or whatever. You know, it's the it's quite a sort of two, like a linear career path you can sort of try to proceed and um that's a little bit more complicated if you're more on the sort of islands but i you know it makes it more fulfilling for myself and uh, mm. for me that's the most important more so than than money or stuff like this you also started as a duo uh yeah, and ish, I, yeah. I remember you um switching to saying okay i'm um i'm doing this uh, alone now like was that a huge switch in terms also of because now you only have to worry about you as an artist and not worry about two people. Yeah. Is it, was well, that I was a big up and change? Down. So the first 10 years I did everything on my own. And then for a bunch of years, I've worked in studio with somebody. Yeah. And we um, we also played live together. So we did a live show with all the sort of visuals and lights and blah, blah, blah. Um, so that was together. But we also, yeah, so it was also complicated. You have to make a agreement about every hi-hat pattern. And kind of <laughs> <laughs> you know, you kind of, it goes slower. So when we uh, split up in 2014, um, I kind of, my, my career went, yeah, uh, went easier and I was quicker and all that stuff. Yeah. So you say, of course, you need to always have two opinions and everybody needs to be happy. So yeah, it becomes uh, to some extent bureaucratic. <laughs> yeah. With one another. <laughs> yeah. And, and it kind of really worked when I was touring a lot also because uh, he wasn't and, you know, we can sort of swap ideas back and forth while he was sort of in, in studio in Amsterdam and stuff. Mm. But um, yeah, I kind of, you know, I feel like it's more me now, what I produce now. Cool. And then as well, like on Spotify, nowadays it's like the easiest thing. You just upload hundreds of thousands of tracks every day. Yeah. In a way, kind of artists are eating away their own streams. Like it's, it's, it becomes invaluable. It's like uh, the yeah. value is dropping, I mean. Totally, um, yeah. How do you reinvent you like doing this for so long you have had multiple of those stages where things are changing social media is kicking in like uh, the whole technology is different or how we even dj live uh, shows and stuff how do you stay relevant like in this extremely saturated crowd what, what, what yeah. do you think well I, I think it's a difficult industry i kind of always feel like it's the nicest job in the most uh, fucked up industry in a way <laughs> not the people I mean I love the people but it's more like it's a very complicated industry because the trends are going super fast and the yeah. life life uh, longevity let's say of a career or of a record or anything is shorter and shorter and shorter and kind of the yeah what you say the rules also change every two years you know then sort of uh, streaming and then TikTok takes over and then <laughs> social media before and NFTs remember that it was just yeah. last year <laughs> and you know it's just it goes so fast and um so you need kind of need to adjust all the time, and it's obviously easy if your if your brand is so big that whatever any anything you do, you have like a huge sort of following that support everything. But like I think for most people, it's uh, you know these sort of fake uh, bulls that you have to sit on. It's called rodeo, is it? Yeah, I think you so. know what I mean. Yeah. They, they yeah, try yeah, to kick the, you the off. Mechanical rodeo. Yeah. yeah, I mean it's. I think a music <laughs> career is kind of like that. So you kind <laughs> of get kicked off the thing unless you really focus on staying on the thing you know so if you blink your eyes or you're doing whatever world 
uh, say you want to come back on a backpack for half a year, you're out. You know, so it's kind of, uh, you need yeah. to stay on, on the ball all the time. And that's kind of a career path you need to like, you know, it's a... So would you say that you need to embrace that change constantly and now you have the story of AI and you need to embrace sure. it yeah, always? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I mean, you're, you're, you're out otherwise. And it's also, I mean, keeps it interesting. It would be kind of, if we, if we would live in the 50s, if we have like probably 20 years of exactly the same <laughs> career, you know, it's, it's now, it's changing super rapidly and you need to kind of adapt yourself and everybody does and people are out and in and out. I mean, I've been around for long enough that I've seen people who had like amazing music careers then sort of being a cleaner somewhere and you know it's mm. it, it kind of goes up and down because it's kind of not so easy to make a living from it and as you say there are many um there are so many people who are trying so the people on the other side let's say um have a position that they can choose and they can also bargain prices down and things like that so uh yeah the, the actual number now is 140,000 records uploaded per day on spotify Jesus. so yeah. that's that's a little over a million a month uh, a week, a week. Yeah, yeah and that's before that the ai tsunami hit, is hitting us when your 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 brother can all can produce somewhat decent music as well yeah. and your nephew and sister and yeah so it's you know it's there's so much music out there so you need to find a way to get an audience and it can be you know setting up your own events or your own label or you know you need to just I think the time where you could just be really good and it would service that sort of romantic idea, I think is a little bit over. I mean, sure. it happens from time to time, but it's the time where sort of you'd be whatever, Dave Bowie, you could just yeah. do heroin and people would drag you from <laughs> one hotel room to the other and just throw you on stage for, you know, it's, yeah, you need to be a bit more entrepreneurial about the thing. And, and you have to diversify, you say, you have to see, okay, then maybe this is coming, embrace it, use it to your advantage, kind of go with the wave, use it to your most opportunistic sense and continue that path uh, because fighting it is probably not going to work out for you. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. And it does get easier to like longer you're around, so, like you're, you have a bit mm. of a name and there's sort of uh, music rights, income and stuff like that. So I'm, I'm in a somewhat easier position than if you're just starting out now. But uh, yeah, you need to adapt constantly. But it's also sort of fun, right? I kind of see those as a challenge. It makes it dynamic. Yeah. So, of course, you have also uh, a licensing sync, bespoke music, it's called. Like when your music is placed on their commercials, trailers, uh, maybe documentaries, films. Um, this is also happening. Is this something that you deliberately pushing, like publishing uh is this something more of a happy accident? So you're selling your tracks, you are doing all these gigs, you're organizing these festivals. Is this something that you really deliberately pushed? Because I know that you ended up in some great yeah. commercials. Yeah, no, it's 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 just um, I'm super happy about it. But I, I, it's a bit of a I don't know coincidence, but it's people just pick my music, so that's that's awesome. And um, but I mean, one thing does lead to the other. So my my publishers are pretty involved in in pushing it out there and. Also, other way around, if people kind of know that that a few of your records are being used in a lot of commercials, then they might also check out the next one and or or they copy it. For for instance, um, I had this record called uh, uh, with, with uh, Steph Landon, the rapper. Uh, it's called yeah. uh, Fashion Killer, and it was the the theme song of America's Next Top Model. That's yeah. a US show, and because uh, it was used like for a year or so, every whatever throughout the television program, then all these fashion brands also want to use that song because people subconsciously linked it to this fashion show. So then Dior and Louis Vuitton and all these kind of brands came around that they also used it for commercials. So then, so sometimes just lucky accidents, but I do, 
it helps a little bit that, that sort of my stuff is a bit sort of quirky and hooky and it fits, I guess, games and advertising a bit. Um, I mean, more so if I would do very sort of experimental uh, dub or whatever. So would you say you are being typecast now because you just landed that <laughs> and now you are typecast in the fashion world? Well, yeah, and I'm, <laughs> I'm totally not a fashion victim. No, <laughs> no, you know, it's 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 awesome and I'm super happy with it, but I just, in studio, I just make whatever I make and, 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 and obviously my publisher, manager stuff are all kind of trying to pitch it, but... And did it change? So when, when you landed these things, we're like, oh, this is kind of a happy accident, of course, with the purpose of landing something where you're like, ah, oh, that makes me think differently about the business. Why don't I aim more on production music uh, outside of club music and the more poppy stuff? Is is there something that changed within you where you say, oh, this is no, quite lucrative? Or no, not because not, not of this. I mean, my stuff changed over the years anyway, but I yeah. suppose everybody's music does over the years. I'm right now a little bit more uh, having a vibe with more poppy stuff and more indie left of center pop, pop music so a lot of my stuff i've an album coming out next month and it's kind of it's hardly for dance for dance floors you know so we kind of don't even bother making extendants of most of the records because it's just yeah it's just pop music in a way electronic pop music Is, isn't that scary when you kind of think oh the audience and the community that i have built around myself is kind of expecting this but now i'm Turning in the other side, like, are you ever yeah, afraid that you I, lose? I kind of do that all the time. So it's, it's, I'm shooting myself in the foot all the time <laughs> with it, <laughs> you know, but as long as sort of stuff works or sometimes, or at least one of every few records works or does well, then it's kind of, yeah, exactly what I say. As long as I can sort of uh, do this full time and then I don't care that much that I shoot myself in the foot. You know, <laughs> obviously if I, I had a time when I was really focused on beatport records and yeah. just getting every record in the charts and some point I was kind of doing well with that. I think like, I think 75 records went into the top hundred, something like stupid mm -hmm. amount at some point. Because we also knew like exactly where the preview moment of Beatport was exactly. So that's yeah, yeah. two minutes after 40% of the records, yeah. something like that. So then we knew, okay, you need to have to, that. anyway, so you, there was a time I was focusing on that and now I'm kind of totally going different direction. So sometimes you also get people on social media saying like, hey, uh, I missed the dance for records and blah, blah, blah. But you're saying that you were kind of producing music kind of with the B-Port preview intent. So this is kind of the, the moment that they show a little snippet well, at of least the we song. were aware of it. So yeah, uh, if you were arranging, <laughs> you kind of knew, okay, this it's going to be there. So yeah. I, uh, I remember some artists saying that they're doing this with Spotify to make it as short as they can. So the more it's being looped, the more it's being yeah, played I mean, and played. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that whole, um, was it lo-fi stuff? It's like a lot of albums of these one and a yeah. half minutes records. And uh, I don't know if you guys know, but like from 30 seconds onwards, it counts as a stream. Uh, so you need to uh, grab grab people's attention for 31 seconds, basically. Otherwise, it doesn't <laughs> count, otherwise you don't earn anything. So the whole music industry changed. So you will never ever hear a, uh, like a single anymore that has like a long intro or yeah. a d double verse it I mean for whatever three four decades it was normal to have like verse one verse two chorus verse three let's say chorus bridge chorus let's say oh, yeah and right now it's just intro course there we are there's the biggest hook of the record and yeah. yeah don't bore us get to the chorus it's kind of the i even see that, that sometimes they put even uh, indeed the chorus like a very snippet on the beginning yeah. and then they start kind of the intro yeah uh, i see this with trailers as well like if you go to movie trailers game trailers they have like this five minutes uh, attention grabbers they really put like all the, the dopamine shots in there and then 
the real thing starts yeah, just to yeah, grab yeah, your attention. It's just kind of suck, you know. I mean, you don't get stared away <laughs> from heaven that no. way, you know. So it's, uh, yeah. So it, it, I kind of don't like the fact that sort of uh, music gets. Yeah, it's also single market. It also has to do with it. Like in the past, people bought albums and then sort of you would listen to the whole album at home and maybe get your favorite song that you play the most and yeah. go back to track seven a lot. But right now, kind of the days of albums are a bit done because it's all playlists now and people listen to very sing very singles. So um, for a lot, most artists, like their main singles are played whatever thousand times more than their album track nine. So, so you people... Yeah, if people only listen to your singles, kind of, you need to get those out there and stuff. So it's, yeah, it has to do with that as well. So with the album coming out, like, isn't it now better because the system is working like this that you kind of release the album in singles every week, and that is the whole album, but you have like all these uh, Spotify submissions, and they don't allow you to submit one more than like, the one track of the album or one track of the EP. So wouldn't it be better to do the whole album, let's say it's uh, 20, 15 tracks, just to release it as singles constantly and eventually bundle it as the album? Yeah, well, I think at some point, <laughs> I think they'll, they'll figure it out that you're like pitching too much. But yeah, it changed around. In, in the past, it used to be you release an album and then uh, single two and then single three. And right now it's yeah. you release single one, single two, single three, and then the album. Uh, it was do how DSPs work. And also radio, um, in the past it used to, uh, singles would be on radio before it was out. And right now it's like they don't play it on radio unless it's already on on DSP. Because people yeah. shazam it at home, so you need to find it straight away. Yeah, so sometimes like if you see the record is coming out in a, in a month or something, like I, I feel like that people kind of want instant gratification, instant success. If they know about your album, they kind of want to listen to it right away. Yeah. If not, they forget about it. Yeah, so so we work with radio pluggers, for instance, and um, they'll sort of, you know, test the waters here and there. They, they make sure like radio uh, DJs are aware of the record and are going to play it. But they say, okay, you have to hold on till this and this date and then you, you're allowed to play it because that's the date that's also on Spotify so then yeah. that first weekend is super important then you also have your own label Animal Language yeah. uh, always so much fun the art is fun it's uh, very playful it even ties in with your uh, cafe raves this is uh, a very cool concept if you ask me um, can you tell me a little bit of why, why you started this label What's, uh, what was kind of the the motive behind it um yeah, it's been around for a while, Animal Language. We're, we've passed 100 uh, releases, 110 or so. Yeah. Um, it kind of started a little bit in the heydays of, of Exeter and all that, because then people really, especially labels, really expected sort of this sort of more commercial side of me, which I also have from time to time, but also want from time to time to do something that's kind of weird. And uh, <laughs> it was super nice to create a platform where I can do whatever I want and, and release it tomorrow and not wait for, for release schedules and all that. Or, so it kind of gives me a lot of freedom. Uh, and obviously, uh, once in a while, release stuff from uh, from artists that I dig. It's cool. And oh, we're yeah. doing all these guerrilla parties uh, throughout town, as you say. And yeah, it's a nice little uh, labor of love, you know. So with these cafe raves, which is you hop from like an hour or maybe in a one and a half hour from like a very vintage yeah. bar. Yeah, we kind, kind of, of look look for... You know, everybody knows these hole-in-the-wall <laughs> alcoholic bars, you know, where there's two people are sitting <laughs> on the bar and there's nobody. We go to four of those bars uh, on one night and we take along two, three hundred people in a sound system on wheels. So we there are two sit people sitting at the bar, let's say, and then 300 people come in, rave and stage dive and jump. Through. And after an hour, we go to the next bar and next bar and next bar. And we did that now for 10 years. So we've 
yeah, we've kind of almost finished Amsterdam, I think, by now. We've we did literally been in hundred something bars. And it's pretty insane. I remember yeah. myself hanging upside down in a bus. Uh, how that happened, I don't know, but yeah, you yeah. were responsible for that. Yeah, it's super. <laughs> it's a lot of fun, and it's for free, and we kind of. <laughs> Uh, it doesn't need promotion anything because people just kind of want to join in. And we only announced it where we start like a few hours before. So we just say, okay, keep keep an eye on this page. And, and then we say, okay, it's the supermarket near the vegetables uh, at this and this time. <laughs> and then all of a sudden you have like 10, 15, 50, 100 people bumping in there. And then and then we can go to the first. But in a way, like these these bars sometimes very much abandoned, but they still can be on very low rents because they, they got the place uh, 50 years ago or something. Uh, you're almost helping them in an economic sense. Like they are doing yeah. a lot of money in an hour. Yeah, they, well, they, we don't do this in a year. Yeah, and, they, and they're kind of all of a sudden young, nice looking people <laughs> there and things like that. So they always ask us back and stuff and they kind of probably don't really kind of know that we're also sometimes picking them for the ironic side of things. So, uh, yeah, there's that. Well, actually, I'm I was uh, I'm having my album in November and we're doing a release in the ministry uh, in London. And also I wanted to do a release in Amsterdam. And I was thinking, I need like this sort of nice, cozy, two, three hundred people party, which clubs I do. I was kind of thinking and brainstorming about it. And I was like, nah, that's ridiculous. We have my, my own gorilla bar thing, which has exactly <laughs> two, three hundred people. And it's like super nice. So I'm going to also present my album in some dodgy bar somewhere. It's fun. I, I like how you kind of combine kind of the, the, the bigger commercial things with some more of these unique uh, incentives that you're just creating because it, it keeps it fun. It keeps it very dynamic. Like it's almost like a, a symphony, you know, a piece where sometimes it's very loud and sometimes it's a little bit softer. I think you you find the right balance in that. Well, I think you kind of also need to find, you know, for instance, this party, you know, it's not important in any way. It's not sort of helping my career per se, but it's, it's like, it does give me sort of a lot of fuel, you know, that, you know, uh, this is what I'm sort of working for. You know, this is the feeling where, where it's all about, why, why we play and make music and all that stuff. And that sometimes, you know, there are also other things in the music industry that feel a little bit more like work. Mm -hmm. So I'm getting a lot, it, it really loads me up a lot, that sort of stuff to do it and, and do whatever these free Queen's Day King's Day parties and mm. things like that, just because you feel like, okay, this is what it's all about. And then, yeah, it's the opposite. If you look uh, look back a little bit, like, is there maybe a significant evolution that you that you witnessed where you're like, whoa, that was really something I, I, I didn't really anticipate on, but I needed to adapt or I needed to change or maybe even from my own interest to say, I don't mind. Something that you witnessed was, was kind of a a turnaround moments in, in all those years where you say, whoa, I, I needed to, uh, really needed to shift gears there. Well, I kind of feel it's heading our way now with AI yeah. a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of, okay, this is going to be a bit of a defining moment and going to change a lot. Obviously COVID was for everyone. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I feel, I feel like kind of, I had like sort of 10 different career moments, you know? I mean, from the outside, it might look at like one career, but for me, it was like, I had that period where I was doing this tour and this period where I was doing this album yeah. and this period where I was doing this collaboration. Uh, so they all feel like different chapters. And every time it's like a new, yeah, a new chapter where you kind of do stuff very differently. For last year, I was very busy with a, a, a vocal group, Vima vocal group that's joining me on stage called Masonettes. Um, and I'm doing a lot of vocal studio sessions. So it's like, you know, it's, it's every, every time something different. I would just, it would just bore me to death to make tech house every day. And, yeah. you know, <laughs> it's just not me. And, uh, to, you know, because I'm every day in studio. So I kind of want to 
do different bits and different things. I kind of also like writing now for other people as well. Sometimes, you know, for pop artists and stuff like that. So like ghost writing? Or is, yeah, but not for dance artists. So I, I won't sort of produce some sort of DJ's uh, record. But like for pop music, um, yeah, kind of. It feels like a bit of also a new chapter for me to write and produce for. Uh, and when when do you decide? So you're doing something and you're working with this vocal group, and sometimes you're doing this album. It's a little bit more experimental. When do you decide? Like, okay, this is the end of the chapter. When do you decide, like, oh, is it just, are you getting bored at some point? You're like, oh, I need to change things up. Is it more of a financial thing? Like, how, yeah, how do sometimes you Yeah, sometimes it has a sort of a, um, an organic sort of life cycle, let's say. So a tour ends. Um, we were sort of, we did like a 20 date tour uh, and then COVID hit. So then yeah. it, it stayed with 20 instead of 40, you know, it kind of, uh, that ends it. Um, I'm doing a lot of... Um, uh, I'm, I'm a lot of studios with pop artists, so that kind of lets from one thing to the other. Like, okay, I have like so many songs, let's uh, create an album out of this. And uh, so I started just with 30 or 40 records and then kind of, I felt like it's going to be some sort of double album. And then it's just sort of cutting out, cutting out, cutting out. And then now I'm ending with a normal sort of album length. Is it so, is there a challenge? I know your uh, Night Ride series where you kind of create this piece of songs rather fast. I eventually made an album out of that. Um, how you challenge yourself where you say, oh, I need to kind of, I have these methods and the moment that I feel I'm getting writer's block or something, I don't think that you have that, but is there something where you say, oh, I have these somewhat practical methods to kickstart the next uh, inspiration? Yeah, I think you kind of need to avoid that you're staying in the loop, that you're always starting your records, for instance, the same way. I mean, you that can really help for inspiration. Like one you know, one day start with sort of sampling, the other day start with a synth, tweaking a sound, the other day uh, start from a song point of view, you know, just uh, pick up a guitar or piano and just start to write something and then create electronic music around that. You know, keep it fresh for yourself because, or, you know, if you're always working on behind your Ableton or Logic, you know, uh, go to Kevin in the Woods with uh, just a sequencer or, you know, an MPC or something like that, you know, just to... It's it really kind of, um, you need to get out of your comfort zone and keep kept being pushed a little bit. And I think also working with other people really helps me, you know, uh, who have different, um, uh, who are good at different things, you know. I mean, I've uh, had the pleasure of working with some amazing people. And it's really kind of, especially if, they're, if they have nothing with dance music or maybe even hate dance music, it's probably the best collab you can have, you know. Just get in the room with somebody and just create and and also be ready to just throw away most of the stuff. What so are some, some collaboration where you say, wow, that's something I just tried out that you're really proud of or something that you say, wow, that's really shifted my uh, perspective or it actually pushed me into a certain genre. Did you have that or was it always a deliberate choice to collaborate with the um, artists that you do? Yeah, so I kind of just go into the studio with a lot, a lot of people. So for this album and now with the Gorillas MC and with Dragonette and... Jack Garrett and uh, for, for instance also uh, Sophie Barker from Zero Seven I was, cool. did a track with and so I'm just kind of I'm just in studio with all these different people and they're also different you know some of them um, you know can just sort of you know do a one take and that's it and then you know or take an hour to whatever smoke pot and then they're just especially rappers and they just come okay this is it <laughs> bam, 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 bam. okay I'm out of here and then maybe I can grab a, and the others are like you know, syllable for syllable, and you're you're f f working for whatever 
days on one verse or something, but just to get it perfect. And I kind of like the diversity between that, you know, the difference <laughs> between people who are like, went to sort of music, had a proper classical music education to people who just sort of have, are, have the opposites and coming more from sort of street perspective, but just have a vibe, you know, and it can be just as awesome, you know, the, so, um, yeah, that really kind of inspires me. But I think it's important. I think people are kind of settling too easily and, and are, I think you just need to create and create shitloads and throw away like 95%. And <laughs> I think people don't sometimes do that. They just sort of, because at the end, it's just about musical ideas. You can make anything sound great and fat nowadays with whatever plugins and fat, fat filter and yeah, yeah. all these things. But it's, you know, the idea, the core idea needs to be good. So I think you just need to produce shitloads of ideas and throw away most. And then once in a while, there's something that's worth actually that linear process of finishing, you know? So, and it's also a muscle you can just train, you know, it just keep on creating. So you have thousands of these drafts. So I have, yeah. <laughs> when, when do you decide to say, yeah, it's really but bad. This one is, is, yeah, so it's hitting I, it. Like, what, how it's do like, you decide? What is the, the criteria here? Yeah. So now you're really getting into the, my geek side of things. But <laughs> I, I have like like a folder of 7,000. 7,000. And at some point, you also have the naming issue because at some point I was numbering them, but that's like the worst idea you can have. because 7,000. Like, so then I, I went to all the cities I knew and then all the countries and all the rivers. And, and now I'm in household utensils. So then <laughs> for, for like for a year, I'm already in the kitchen. So then you're like... Uh, and you say, and every time I, you know, make a track, make an idea, whatever, 45 minutes, you save a logic file and an MP3, that's it. And the next, and the next, yeah. and the next, and the next. And at the end of the week, you have whatever, uh, 30, 40 ideas. And, you know, you kind of create a whole bunch and obviously most don't see daylight. And then, but there's always like one or two that are kind of not crap. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and it also really helps me when I'm in studios with other people that I can bring, okay, here are in your kind of vibe, what we're looking for here are 20 kind of rough ideas just yeah. to get going session. And then afterwards I can always kind of create a whole new track around it. Uh, but yeah, I think it's just, um, uh, yeah, it's just a tap. You need to keep on running and, and stay productive. And but do you ever go back to track 677 and say, oh yeah, that's yeah. the one that works now. Yeah, I have these kind of recycle folders <laughs> where like oh, there's the beats are good, but the rest is shit, or there's a good baseline here, and I'll put them in a sort of the good baseline folder. And is this in your heads? Do you have this remembrance? No, it's it's a foul, foul. Uh, oh, so you just you just check situation. a little bit of the. Oh, yeah, I and get sometimes I kind of check, go back to a year, so I kind of listen back to whatever 2011, and then uh, you always pick like ah, oh, that's a weird little breaky thingy there that I can steal now or uh, use now. Yeah. Is uh, is fun. Did you actually change your your production uh, software or programs along the way, or have you always stick to the same uh, software? Is it just yeah, like I stick to one? Logic always because I'm just sort of fast with it, and I mm -hmm. think it's about the less you can, the less you have to think about technical shit, the more you can be creative. So you kind of you don't want to think about all these, you know, every mouse click and every menu. You mm -hmm. kind of just want to do it and have all your weird uh, uh, what are you, shortcut keys and stuff. Um, so it's, yeah, so I kind of stick to logic, but obviously I'm, you know, doing, uh, uh, which, which I changed the, my gear. I've always kind of go from having a super full studio with a lot of gear to like back to a Mac. And now I'm again, sort of mixing outboard again, and I'm having fun with all these, uh, vintage compressors and stuff. And now probably in a few years, I'll go back and okay. I'm making a plugins now, actually, it's gonna, I made a series of plugins. So it's gonna, gonna release at some point. So using those myself. So, uh, so this is your own plugins. Yeah. 
Yeah. So uh, what can we expect from that? Like what is this? Is this effects? Is this synthesizers? Is it's this... effects, yeah. Okay, and, yeah. and this is your special signature sounds that you can get only yeah, with those things? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. it was a lot of fun to make, actually. I, I made one and we spent like a year on it and uh, it became so CPU heavy and complex that we kind of parked uh, it and then made three different ones. And yeah, it's a little fun. Yeah, it's, it's the same kind of thing. I think that sort of thing just come back. I kind of want to keep it interesting for myself and keep changing what I do, you know? So then it's... Oh, I never did a, I never made a plugin. So let's, let's do that, you know. Is it also that you are just creating all these opportunities so you can sell these plugins and you sell these tracks and you have a label and you sell other tracks and you have these sync and licenses and you have your gigs and... You mean that it's like a financial incentive uh, to do it? Or are you saying, like, no, it's it's more just because I think it's fun. Like, what is the criteria? Yeah, is it I, like, I would say 80% fun. Yeah. But obviously you also need to get busy and do, do stuff, you mm. know. Uh, if you don't do any projects or things at some point, also you're income is going to come down. So you kind of can't sit still either. But I'm kind of hopping pretty drastically from project to project because I just find that a lot of fun. But yeah, you know, it's like on one hand, I'm now kind of busy promoting the, the album and we're doing all the PR stuff for that. And it's, but like in my studio, I'm obviously now working for next summer, the stuff that's happening then. So you need to kind of work <laughs> ahead and kind of, uh, you know, you always need to work ahead quite far. So, if you think about the the future show, uh, like I said, more than 25 years, are we going to do another 20? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, before AI, I would say definitely. Right now, I say, yeah, well, I'm, I'm definitely doing stuff in the music industry. But I don't know if it's the same way or, you know, but it's, um, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm comfortable doing what I do and... Uh, are you afraid of AI or are you going to say, we had, we had a little talk before this and you said, I was well, like, no, I, I think I'm going to embrace it as much as I can uh, to, to help me kind of uh, have focus for other things to be more efficient that way. Is yeah, that, uh, yeah, are you afraid I, of it or? I think a little, little of both. Yeah. Um, you know, we'll have to adapt for sure. You know, <laughs> if it's adapt or die, uh, I think that's really coming towards us right now. It's kind of still crappy, but it's, it's doubling in quality every week or so. So it's, you know, in a few years you kind of, and, you know, I'm, I'm uh, 43, so I'm, I'm sure there are kids who are, will be very much quicker to adapt it and, and run with it. I'll, I'll, I'll do it as well. You know, I'll, I'll go for it. But it's, I, I just find it hard new to look into the far future. It's kind of, mm. it's going to disrupt quite a bit. Um, there's also going to be less work for everyone because, you know, music making will be much easier all the craft the craft stuff the stuff that you learned for 20 years you know how to tweak this and that a lot of that stuff you can throw out of the window i think soon so it's, it'll be more about making creative decisions and um that's also fun you know and to be fair when i started it was with a sampler and with a synth you kind of knew what you were doing you know you're like mm -hmm. okay uh, this button does this and this button does. right now we're already embracing technology i mean the plugins that i use i have no clue what it does i mean <laughs> Some of them, right? I mean, you just click on it and it sounds awesome. And it's like a whole uh, algorithm of shitloads of things stacked onto each other. It's not like an EQ anymore or yeah. just a compressor <laughs> anymore. It's the whole, blah, blah, blah. you know, and we love it. You know, we all enjoy enjoy a lot of it. And, and also with synths, I mean, I mean, you still have soft synths and hardware synths that are kind of just free oscillators and a, and a envelope and an LFO. But it, there's also a lot of this stuff out there where it just sort of, pushes button and it gives amazing sounds and you kind of don't mind. I mean, I, I never heard people sort of mind the fact that 
that that's how they generate sound. So it, it will be, I think, in that sort of, it will continue in that line that we kind of, okay, the source material, a lot of the source material may come from AI, but we kind of make the choices as curators and we kind of make, okay, AI can do a lot of the legwork of creating shit, but we kind of, okay, so what's the, when is it cool? And probably the quality will go up. What is cool? Exactly. That's always, uh, an, yeah, I'm always yeah. asking myself, you listen to me like, damn, this is cool. But at the end of the day, to... I think that's the only thing you have, right? It's your taste. Your taste <laughs> is the only thing that's sort of worth anything, you know, and that, that's people, us making music. That's their, their only, our only asset is having, having good ears or hopefully, yeah. I also know that you are, um, kind of uh, in this uh, music societies, also like talking about music rights, you have Bima Semra, you, I think you are chairman if I'm right, or you're at least a con- yeah. doing consultancy about the perspective from from you as, yeah, an, as so, an artist. Yeah. yeah, so I'm doing a little bit on the side. Um, I'm not working for any of these things, but I, yeah. there's a, uh, we started an artist association here in the Netherlands called Bam Poppeteers, and we're the, the biggest artist association now. And we kind of do a lot of lobby work for to make the position for artists a little bit better. So, and that is on the, the DSP side, on the society. So the, the Bumas Temras, but also the PRS and, and also neighboring uh, rice societies, but also on policy making. Um, mm. So we're, yeah, we're working very hard with a lot of people on that. I'm not doing that on my own. It also means having the right people on some boards. So I was also on a few of these boards. I was chair at Bumas Temras members boards. Mm. Um, yeah, so we're kind of quite involved and it's really fulfilling to do something with your brain as well. Uh, <laughs> to use yeah. your brain. <laughs> well, to, yeah, to, it's like instead of only making hi-hats all day. Yeah, and, okay. Uh, yeah, and it, you know, it really, it's important to me. The 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 position of artist is quite vulnerable. Uh, you're always, artists are in a kind of a weak position when they're negotiation, negotiating with a major label, let's say, or... A, big festival or whatever because you're you're not in an equal position right i mean there yeah. are so many other artists you don't have a uh, an army of legal people uh, on your behalf you know it's a you have to fund everything yourself so it's kind of an unequal battle but we're we're going slowly the right direction i think it really helps that policymakers and people in influential positions are now from a generation that they in the past when they were 16 also went to pop music or dance music and i think yeah, 10 years ago, that was already different. There was like a lot of policymakers and were coming from very classical music kind of background, let's say. Mm. We didn't really get dance music or or hip hop or anything like that. And so we're, we're, we're slowly, you know, adjusting a little bit. How how would you say that you defend yourself? I know a lot of composers, producers, they, they go to schools and they learn about contracts and 360 deals and be, be careful and read everything and make sure that you claim all your rights. Like how... How do you think they have to protect themselves? Is there a, a simple rule over, over the years of experience that you have that you say, hmm, actually don't worry too much about this, uh, worry more about these things. No, sometimes I see worry, about, worry about this. <laughs> <laughs> no, so I mean, never sign something that you don't understand. Sure. And if you don't, I mean, if you're not legally savvy, which most of us aren't because it's super boring, yeah. then, then find somebody <laughs> who is and uh, have it that you trust to ha- check it on your behalf. And th- that's not like, a real estate lawyer or something, you know, somebody who has actually actual experience in entertainment law or IP law um, or a manager or something like that, because it's like, I'm still sort of, you know, punching myself in the head for the things I signed when I was 19, because you just didn't understand how stupid it was. And they will try. I mean, I'm not like a conspiracy theory guy that like the industry is (laughs) against us because they're not, they're fun people and nice people, but they'll, 
you know, they'll they'll obviously try to get as good as possible deal. And so, well, if you say you see things like lifetime of copyright or see things like thirty years from now or stuff like that, you need to be wary. You know, it's that and don't sign that sort of stuff. Yeah, especially if it's like your whole livelihood or when you kind of are stuck in a deal and you can be super, then I definitely, I would always say if it's like a singular thing, right? Like if you, maybe it's one single, then sure, if you get screwed over with that, you could get over that. But if it's like huge and albums and your whole Well, uh, but also singles, you know, usually it's just in your career, it might be probably like two or three or four that will make all the money and the rest will lose money or not make any money. So, so yeah. you know, whatever you sign is kind of, what's going to happen with it. And yeah, it's pretty complicated, you know, because a lot of deals are also, for instance, made when there was no streaming yet. So mm -hmm. it was just like, and for digital, we, we <laughs> use the same percentage as for CDs or for vinyl. And it was like, because we kind of, they couldn't foresee that like Spotify would become so big, but you know, um, so what would you say then if you go back? So let's say we can uh, take a time machine back to, uh, let's say 15 years ago. Now let's, let's do 20. So you were still already a little bit busy. What would you tell yourself with the experience that you have now? Don't worry about uh, what, what sort of industry thinks about what you're doing. You know, focus on what you kind of love. And I think that will radiate. And uh, well, this this legal thing, like check on your contracts. <laughs> <laughs> Please, if I would have checked all my contracts in the past. <laughs> but yeah, that's and just create, you know, create as much as possible and... Uh, so you would say, people, don't be too stuck in the theory. Don't be stuck. Just start creating, start yeah, making and, music. And I think really important, not never to follow what other people are doing. Never try to be, uh, if you really love that artist, don't try to copy it, you know? And I think a lot of people are in dance music. It's quite a quantity game sometimes. People just release shitloads. And uh, I think it's more important. It's, it's good to be aware of what's happening out there and what other people are doing, but not to copy it but the other way around to avoid the cliche so if you know like oh, a lot of people are doing this sound and it's cool then not do it because then already a lot of people are doing you know mm -hmm. so try to avoid all these kind of holes where that already other people have filled and i think that's um yeah so i i for somebody that doesn't really follow trends so much uh i do follow trends a lot let's say just to <laughs> know not what not to do or something yeah you know? okay now so be aware yeah that's what you're saying yeah. be aware of what's happening and so for, for the next Mason out here listening, uh, checking it out, uh, also wanting to have uh, uh, succeeding or surviving more than uh, two decades in the industry, what would you, what is an advice that you can give the, the next Mason that is kind of on the starting position of what you already have been through from, from this time and age? Is there an advice that you can give this person? Mm. Well, I think community is everything. So create your own community. You have to do it yourself now. Uh, it's you and fans. That's the only thing that matters. And that's also the only thing that's worth anything, you know? So once that's sort of healthy enough, it's, I mean, there's this rule, if you have a thousand fans, you can make a livelihood from music. If you have a thousand fans that support you and appreciate you and come to shows and stuff like that. So it, it's doable, but I think that's what you should focus on. And also that's later on, when you're further in your career, what you can, um, where other people can help out and, you know, managers and publishers and all these stuff, they can help growing that further. But at the end, it's about you and people who taking the time to check out your music. And it's, it's so valuable. You know, I'm so thankful for people who, who listen to my stuff. It's a, just building a community, having those around you, using them or kind of like, a, and not forget them. 
Yeah. I know that you you have some fans that are always coming or uh, it's 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 nice how you always give them time. Yeah, it's, it's, I think that's important. Yeah, and, and social media is also great for that, you know, and all these things like Discord where you can be a bit more one-on-one conversation stuff. It's a, it's a great time to also um, communicate with with uh, people following your stuff and they can sort of think along or with polls kind of give you a direction. And so I try to keep it a bit interactive, uh, you know. Uh, and then again, if... Is there something that like you did already so much, you already achieved a lot of things, like is there still something that you are striving for? Is there a goal where you say, yeah, that's actually not have been part of my journey yet. This is something I really want to do. Maybe something people don't know about you. You're like, oh, that's a, a strange journey that you haven't portrayed. Well, I would really love to get into the room with uh, sort of a, a bigger league pop artists and write for them. You know, and I know it's happening in bigger teams and it's I'm sort of having my first little steps there, here and there, uh, stuff that I wrote for people. Um, so yeah, I, I, because also with Mason, I kind of have my own borders, like what I want to be released and what it needs to be sound wise stuff. But if it's for somebody else, it's kind of borderless. So yeah. I would love to, you know, work for the, 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 the Dua Lipas in this world. And you know, you would love to create a track for Dua Lipa. I yeah. think you, you could be great with the grooviness that you have. Yeah. Kind of the funky, a little bit of like the, the well, teasing. I mean, no, no, not literally do it, but yeah, you know, but just to get into that sort of, uh, I love pop music and mainstream pop music as well. You know, if it's done right. And I think there, there are people like you know, Mark Ronson and stuff that are doing yeah. such a great job. I would. Is this, um, is there somebody on the wish list? Or you want to keep that for yourself? Plenty. <laughs> Plenty we chat to. <laughs> okay. Keep on trying. Never, never aim for the bottom, right? Awesome. I uh, I would like to see that if that is uh, happening. Uh, so do you also think that your career will eventually maybe you say, okay, I'm not doing all this gig or you're saying I'm still doing the gigs and, and, and doing venues and doing the raves or are you saying like, no, maybe I'm going to be more of that producer. Well, I think already kind of, you know, my work week is 40 something hour studio and, you know, then you maybe do one show or something, you know, so it's kind of, it's already time-wise, it's made really about studio. And I think over the next, you know, future, it will probably be a bit more in studio with other people and not only for Mason. And mm. I kind of, I'm pretty productive and I find it sort of sometimes limiting that you can only release, release very little mm. for on one artist's name. So to do it for others. And yeah. Then the last question I have is, how do you balance this out? Because we have to do so much, so much attention, social media and your own marketing. And then sometimes managers help you out and promoters. But how do you manage your work-life balance? Doing what you love, being very passionate about it, but also having a family. What is kind of your, do you have a golden rule to keep this in check? No, it's it's complicated, to be honest. <laughs> and, uh, not, not only with me, but like it's a subject that a lot of people are struggling with. Mm. Um, especially... I don't really do the heavy touring at the minute. You know, I I, I do my shows like uh, a few months, but not like the, you know, the always on the road thing. And that's really hard to combine with sort of private life and sometimes studio. And, you know, people can bitch about DJ this or that that didn't produce a track himself. But I mean, if you have that DJ schedule, uh, yeah. what, what do you expect? You know, you need people to do the leg work or groundwork for you already. And yeah, so... Um, I try, you know, my main focus is studio and I have, uh, I have a family of kids and stuff like that. So I'm, I'm trying to balance it and, but yeah, you need to do a lot of these things with these times with, you know, organized all and, uh, all the social and all the blah, blah. You're picking your battles. So you're saying, okay, yeah. here a little bit of this, a little bit of that. Uh, and just nice. work hard, you know, if you, if you don't like to be a workaholic, maybe just look for a different profession. <laughs> okay. 
Thank you, Mason. Uh, I think it's nice to hear your perspective. I know that we uh, we talk here and there, but it's nice to uh, to have a complete isolated hour with you. Uh, well, hear a little bit about the roads, the perspective. Uh, and I'm very curious. Ne- next album is coming out. When? November 10th. Let's go. That's uh, definitely, we have to check it out. Uh, is there uh, a few gigs attached to it, a little tour with that or? Yeah, there are a bunch. Um, yeah, so we're doing the release here in Amsterdam and in uh, London, the Ministry of Sound. So that's that's where it kicks off. Okay. Then I'm left off to thank you for uh, for sharing. Uh, I'm uh, I'm happy that we could do this. I'm happy of uh, Amsterdam's event kind of arranging this studio for us, that we could make the collaboration with Hunchback and that we could have you uh, Thank you, Mason. Well, thanks for having me. All right. Hey, thanks for listening to Hunchback Talks. If you like this podcast, make sure to follow it and share it with your friends. If you want to find out more about Hunchback Music, what we do as a company, and our composers, make sure to check out the links in the description of this podcast to our website and our socials. We hope you enjoyed this episode and stay tuned for more episodes in the future.